Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. It might seem a little bit odd to spend time talking about how to cry. There are people who cry at the drop of a hat. They just can. Uh, I have been told and been amazed when I have seen it that actors and actresses are taught how to summon tears when they need them and have real crying on stage. That's fascinating to me. Others can't try at all or don't cry. It's not because they don't care. It's just that not everybody cries in the same way. So to say, let's learn how to cry means something a little bit different. If, as we saw this morning, crying has healthful physical benefits, and we did, we saw that that's exactly what the studies have said. Does that sound loud to you all? Or is it we good? Everybody good? It's ringing at me, but that's good. If they like it, I like it. Uh, I keep not wanting to yell as much, but. I'm going to let you be in charge of that because I may. So here we go. Anyway, he, he studied tears and found out that there are different kinds of tears based upon what is causing it. And so this morning we saw that there uh, are those tears that come just as a response. And then there are tears that come from an emotional situation. And that emotional tear has a different compound when you study it. Actually, toxins and poisons and stress hormones are released. And in fact, there are some endorphins that are released. So the idea of crying has healthful benefits. Well, if God uses that idea of crying, if He uses that idea of mourning, then I would suggest there are spiritual, healthful Benefits, but we need to learn how to cry like Jesus did. And so for a few minutes, that's what I want us to do. I found this quote that I thought was really neat. Proper mourning waters potential joy. You think about that for a minute. Proper mourning waters potential joy. In fact, we're going to pursue that for just a few minutes. First of all, let's go to the Beatitudes and in Matthew chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 6. And you know many of the Beatitudes and, and many of them we, we know, we talk about and we understand. Maybe the toughest one of the bunch, blessed are those who mourn, Matthew records, they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, Luke records, for they shall have rejoicing. Blessed are those who mourn. Is Jesus telling us we need to mourn? I think so. Is He telling us, if you look at that text, is He telling us that we need to mourn over everything? Obviously not. This is not a physical concept. This is not an idea of physical things. But rather, this is mourning of a spiritual nature. Blessed are those who mourn. 
obviously, mourning in a spiritual sense has some interesting things connected to it. If you talk to any of the explorers from last Wednesday night's Explorer's Time Upstairs, you probably heard them tell you that they learned about a particular kind of mourning. They learned, in fact, how to mourn. Apparently, they learned about mourning that is grieving. A very obviously powerful image in front of them when, uh, as I heard it, Tina Williams came in and put on a great performance. And I saw the pictures. When I saw the pictures and I focused in on their faces, those kids were awestruck at everything that was happening there. The mourning process of the Old Testament as the garments were ripped off as they had sackcloth and ashes put on them. And they experienced this overwhelming sense of sorrow. They saw it. They got it. Sure, that was about physical loss. In fact, in those countries today... I hear that I've read that they actually hire people to mourn. The more people you can hire and to mourn at your funeral is an obvious statement about your importance and your wealth. And so you hire mourners. But this is not that. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Will you go with me to the, to the psalm that we just read in Psalm 126? The psalmist said, he wrote a psalm. This is what was just read. And he's writing this psalm as though he is coming out of captivity represented by the people of God. Now, some have said this psalm was written back or at that time when in fact it was not. This is a, a prefiguring, if you will. He may also be talking about it from the standpoint of the people of God who came out of Egypt the first time. And they came out after 400 years of slavery. And now maybe in a prophetic way he's looking to the time when they're going to go to Babylonian captivity. He's using that to create this idea. And notice, if you will, beginning in chapter 126 and verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. He wrote it as this, they were coming out of captivity and it was like we were in a dream can this be real? Is this really happening? Are we going home? After all this time, have we been brought out? And then we were realized and we we're filled with laughter. We're filled with singing. But then notice, the Lord has done this. 
They honored God for bringing them out of captivity. Therefore, verse 4, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. In other words, make them flow back in one more time, fully back as the people of God. Then that curious statement beginning in verse 5 just read, so in tears. Reap in joy. I think this is exactly what Jesus said later in that beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, they will rejoice. So with mourning, reap with joy. The psalmist is writing about a concept. Their life had been dedicated to captivity. They sowed the seeds of their lives in captivity. But because God was still with them, God was working with them, they had came out with joy. Their sorrow was but for a little time. And now they have joy again. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, he is talking about someone, I think, who in a, in a spiritual way is looking not here, but over there. Mourning here, but looking over there. Therefore, number two, blessed are those who mourn over what? When he says, blessed are those who mourn, if, I need, if I'm going to learn how to cry, I better figure out what I'm crying over. What am I going to mourn about? And you will see, I think that they match well uh, with what, Jesus did in his crying that we studied this morning. The first thing is 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2. In verse 1, as Paul addressed those brethren, and he said, It is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality that is not even among the Gentiles, that a man should have his father's wife. And he says, and you have not mourned, but rather rejoiced. You've not mourned that he would be taken away from you. Paul was telling these brethren, why don't you mourn over sin? Put that back into the beatitude. I think Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over sin, for they will be comforted. When's the last time you mourned over sin? Maybe you have wept, mourned, been troubled over your own sin. All of us have been there, hopefully. Whether there were actual tears, I don't know. 
But I, I certainly expect that every one of us have had moments in which we grieved over our own sin. If not, we have a problem. I think Paul wanted them to understand if you don't have grief over sin, then you're not mourning the way God wants you to mourn. In fact, most of the time, we get pleasure and laugh about sin more than we mourn over it. Oh, there are certain hot-button issues that we mourn about. We mourn over abortion. When we think about the millions upon millions. Let me take a moment to tell you about a situation. And I'm going to be telling all the churches and when our preachers meet. I've been contacted about a young family, a couple, young couple, down in Middlesboro, Kentucky. Or is that right? Or is it Tennessee? It's right on the border there. Is it Kentucky? Members of the church physically unable to have children. But they have found a mother who has decided not to abort her baby in order that this couple can have one. That's expensive. That's the sad part, right? That's the sad part. But if we stand as people who oppose abortion, and we should, we should mourn over it. Shouldn't we also be concerned that when someone has an opportunity to adopt a baby that might have been aborted, why don't we get involved financially? That young couple's raised half of all they need, but they need more. I'm going to present it. What a statement that could make to that young couple. Those Christians, they don't just oppose abortion and mourn over it. They also want to help save one. That's a great idea. And when I was called about that, I want to get involved. Absolutely, there are things we mourn over. Mourn over sin. Number two. Blessed are those who mourn over those who fail to repent of sin. Those who don't repent. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, about verse 27, he said that idea, verse 21. He said, when I come, I'm gonna, you're, you're going to think that I'm going to come in a way that you don't want me to, but I'm going to come and I'm going to find that you have not mourned over that one who did not repent of the uncleanness and the fornication and the lewdness that they practiced. Now it's not just about the sin. Now it's about the person who is not penitent of the sin. Do we mourn over those who refuse to repent. Well, one of the things I think about that 
is the concept of thinking in my head, what about people that I know are in sin? What about people that I know who are in trouble? What about people to whom we must and need to reach out? Have we done so? Do we care? Paul was concerned that people were not mourning over a failure to repent. I think it is interesting that he would also say in 2 Corinthians 7, Godly sorrow produces repentance, not to be regretted, 2 Corinthians 7.10. So if we're able to mourn over sin, then we might be able to repent. If I first am not willing to mourn over sin, I'm not going to repent. If I can't mourn over my own failure, I'm not going to repent of my failure. If I can't mourn over sin, I'm not going to care about repentance. Blessed are those who mourn, those who don't repent. They shall be comforted. Number three, there are the haunting words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. At my first defense, he's in jail now, prison. At my first defense, no one stood with me. Wow. Isn't that tough? Can you imagine being in trouble of any sort, any sort of trouble at all, and no one standing with you? That's where Paul found himself. Do you mourn over the idea of having to stand alone? Do you mourn over those who forsake and turn away and are not around anymore? Do you mourn? Paul said, I stood alone. I had no one with me. It's tough to be alone. It's tough to be by yourself. Think with me, if you will, about how to deal with that. How am I going to deal with that? How am I going to find help for that? We have to mourn properly. When we mourn together, it helps. Let me go back and tell you one more thing we should mourn over. Improper rejoicing. Improper rejoicing. James chapter 4 verse 9. James said, mourn, weep, grieve. Let your rejoicing be turned to mourning. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Why is James saying that? He's saying that because there were people who were 
excited and happy and laughing, not at good things, but rather at their own accomplishments, their own wealth, and their own security. And he said, wait a minute. You need to turn that kind of improper rejoicing into mourning. See, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over sin. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over those who fail to repent. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over improper rejoicing. They will rejoice. And improper rejoicing is selfishness. And being content with self, not needing God. Okay. Now go back where I was. How do we mourn properly? If I'm going to mourn like Jesus mourned, then I need to mourn in a proper way. Yep, there's a way to mourn. There's a way to cry. There's a way to understand how I'm supposed to be. So if I'm going to mourn like Jesus, what am I going to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. If I'm going to mourn like Jesus, I have to believe unbelievable belief. If I'm going to mourn like Jesus, I have to believe unbelievable belief. John is often called the gospel of belief. And I was reading today how many times in the gospel of John it says the people did not believe. This group, that person, those people did not believe. And he closes that gospel, doesn't he, in chapter 20 by saying, all these things were written that you might believe. What did Jesus do? He did sign after sign after sign. He lived a life causing belief. And they did not. They could not believe in his life. They saw it right there in front of them, but they could not believe it. And captivated by the appearance of Jesus at the end of John, when the disciples are together after he's been resurrected, and all of a sudden he appeared in front of them. And he said, do you have anything to eat? And the text records, because of their amazement, they did not believe. What well, he's standing right there. Why don't you believe it? Because it just didn't fit. It didn't make sense. How can somebody die and now be standing here? To believe unbelievable belief is to be able to say, it's not about what I can see. It's not about this world. It's not about what's here. We walk by faith, not by sight. Number two, be at peace with peace. John 14, verse 27. Jesus said to the disciples, 
My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. When we think about peace, we often think about free from chaos. No stress. No problems. That's what peace is. That's the world's definition of peace. I've used it many times, but some illustrations just fit. The story of the artist, two artists, who were told to draw a picture representing peace. They happened to draw the same scene, almost. One drew the scene Some trees and a bird and a nest and the babies in the nest and they're singing with their parents and that's peace. The other drew a, a tree swaying in a storm. It's dark and cloudy, lightning everywhere. And in the nest was the mother bird and the babies were under her wings. And he said, that is peace. And you know what? When the Bible talks about peace, he's not talking about the sun shining, the fair winds, and the nice temperature. Peace I give you. Not like the world gives. The peace that he's talking about is defined by the ability to stand in a storm, to handle the difficulties, to be in the midst of chaos, and to be there perfectly at peace with the Lord. We should be at peace with peace. Finally, as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, stand alone to stand forever. If you're going to be able to cry like Jesus did, we have to learn to stand alone so we can stand forever. They all forsook him. He's gone. What am I going to do? But the very next words, after saying, none stood with me, the very next words were, but the Lord stood with me. Those are the very next words, verse 17. When I can stand alone, meaning no one else supports what I believe in. No one else is going to live that life. In fact, they might even try to stop me. But if I have to stand alone, I'll stand alone so that I can stand forever. If I can do that, if I can be that way, what did Jesus cry over we saw this morning? People who didn't believe in him. Believe unbelievable belief. What did he cry over when he came to Jerusalem? The fact that they didn't have peace. 
They didn't find it because they rejected what God sent. Be at peace with peace. And what did Jesus cry over in the garden? Everybody forsook him. They all fled. One betrayed him. They all turned around and left. Be willing to stand alone so you can stand forever. Those last three things, that's how we can learn to cry like Jesus cried. I have to have his mindset, his mentality, his attitude, and then I will cry the way that he did. Maybe tonight uh, you need to cry. How many of you might remember this vivid television commercial years ago talking about or showing the Indian one tear rolling down his cheek talking about the land being littered. You remember that? Pretty powerful, wasn't it? I still remember it. You do too. Because tears are powerful. That tear was a healing moment for those who need to learn about caring for the world that God created. And that godly sorrow that produces repentance is that which leads us and is an obvious sign that one may have changed. If you need to cry tonight, if you need to rejoice because you're able to see past the hurt that causes the tear. Tonight we're here for anyone who needs to respond to be what God wants them to be as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.